trigger warning, this podcast contains discussions about self-harm and suicide, which some listeners may find distressing or upsetting. So please listen with caution. everyone and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Mic, a vent music podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with artists across different music scenes in the UK and beyond. We discuss their musical journeys, their artistry, and most importantly, the person behind the mic. All the way back in JSIP 25 at the start of 2020 and before the COVID-19 lockdowns and before I started behind the mic, I interviewed Jack Campbell from UK rock band Cavalcade. In that episode, we talked all about how the band started, how Jack got involved, Jack's lived experience of disassociation and the grief he went through in losing his dad suddenly in 2017. I'm delighted to say that both Jack and the lead singer in the band, Connor, are coming back onto the pod for this episode of Behind the Mic. In this episode, we discuss Connor's music journey and how he got involved in the band, the latest updates from it, what they've been up to, and their plans for the future. We also talk about a period of depression Connor went through at university and how he's been exposed to mental health difficulties in supporting Jack through his grief and battle with disassociation. For Jack, on the positive side, we talk about how he's overcome the worst of his derealization and learning the tools in how to deal with it when it crops up in his day-to-day life. We also talk about his recent experience of body dysmorphia. This is something Jack has felt a lot of stigma over, and we discuss why men and boys feel so much stigma around body image issues like BD and how he's navigating the next stage of his mental health journey. So get comfy and have a listen as I go back behind the mic with Jack and Connor from Cavalcade. It has been a long time coming. Jack, it has been, what, a year and a half since we chatted? Yeah, I think so. But welcome back to Behind the Mic. Woo! <laughs> Connor, welcome to Behind the Mic. Thank you very much, mate. Debut, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. It's lovely to be here. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. We've, we're going to talk once again about Cavalcade. We're going to talk a lot about your mental health and what's happened, Jack, since the last time we spoke. We're actually using professional kit this time instead of my phone. Although <laughs> although before we start, we have a slight malfunction, which means that you're recording all on one mic. Are you both ready to start the show, lads? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Let's start by picking up where we left off, boys, and talk about Cavalcade and what's happened since we last spoke, Jack. So before I do that, Connor, as you weren't here before, I'll give you the courtesy of answering the questions that I gave to Jack. So tell me first, what made you fall in love with music? How old were you when you first picked up instruments? And how did your love affair with music began? I was speaking to somebody else about this very recently. It all came from my dad's taste in music. And I know for Jack as well, his, his dad had a very, very similar taste in music, or at least like a, a love of it, you know, like wanting to introduce us to all the bands that he listened to, showing us all the CDs, getting the records down from the loft. And so that's when it all started. And I remember quite early on, Jack and I really resonating with one another about music. We would talk about music. Jack would bang on about Nirvana incessantly. And I think that's where it all started. And then in terms of picking up instruments and stuff, I think I think I was at like a car boot sale or something when I was maybe like in year seven. What's that, like 12? Yeah, 12. 11, 12. Yeah, yeah. 11, 12. And I bought a, a guitar 
And then from that acoustic point or onwards, electric? it was an acoustic guitar. Yeah. Do you know what? I did have an electric guitar when I was a kid from Argos or something. <laughs> Never played it, sold it at Cash Cash. Actually worked. One of those, what, it wasn't like, those like a button when you play and it presses the tune, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Plastic one, yeah. With yeah. light up at the top, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, started playing guitar. And then I remember very, very specifically, there was a moment where I said to Jack, like, I would love to be mm. in a band I was like and I, <laughs> and the, the day before I'd been like standing on my bed pretending to rock out I was like Jack I've just had the oh, it was, imagine how great it would be to be standing there playing guitar in a band to loads of people I took light blue converse and I was like what are those <laughs> yeah. like, he, it was cool before anyone else was cool yeah I don't know if other that's people saw it that way to be honest <laughs> <laughs> I got bullied for it a little bit but I think that's when it really started and then obviously years and years later Jack and I started the band. It did feel like a bit of a full circle moment. And then we'd be down the pub, you know, like during that time and be like, bloody hell, we did say that we were going to do this years ago. Mm. And now we're doing it, which is quite lovely. And we, we've always kind of uh, reminisced about that moment. Mm. So that was it really, yeah. You spoke about you and your dad's kind of introducing you both to music. And I imagine they both took you to gigs. How special was that time for all four of you growing up? Oh, yeah. I mean, listening to the music, I remember very, very specifically, like listening to Nevermind the Bollocks with my dad in the car, left field, leftism. Like, there's a lot of dance. My dad was into quite a lot of dancey stuff, not just rock. Gorilla's first album, Scissor Sisters' first mm, record, which was so yeah, great. Exactly. We, we used to love that. And then going to gigs, to be fair, when I was younger, we didn't really go to many gigs. And the first proper gig I went to, or like live show, is I went to V Festival with my dad. Wow. Yeah. In 2008. My first festival. That's Fisher Price <laughs> Festival, is that? Yeah. Me or Reading? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that blew my mind because Muse headlined, headlined that one. At the time, I wow. loved Muse. Muse headlining V. I Imagine know, it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the relevancy yeah. is not there now. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd never been to a festival before either. And that was a moment we really, really bonded over that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think I, I must have been like 15. We were having a beer. Do you know what I mean? It was like, it was forbidden. It was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Smoke a big smell. No, no. <laughs> Would you say, speaking to you now, Connor, that you and Jack were almost kindred spirits in that sense? Like the, I wouldn't say the universe was destined for you to meet, but did it feel yeah. that way? Yeah. I mean, we've been mates our entire lives mm. since like reception to kind of age, like mm. very, very young. And we've said this to each other before. It's like, Actually, we do feel like we're brothers. And we've mm. said that to each yeah. other before because we also bicker like brothers as well. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> what makes us supposed to, really. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But yeah, absolutely. I think we are. And I think that was really rooted in our love of music and how much we loved sharing the music that we listened to. Mm -hmm. And that, honestly, uh, you know, to kind of reiterate the point that I think that did come from our fathers and, and, and they were good mates as well, you know. Yeah. And they bonded over that kind of stuff as well. So... I definitely think you could say that. I think that this band is probably a really lovely manifestation of that relationship. Mm. And obviously that Steve and, and Tom as well, but I have seen it as that quite often. Mm. I think it's, uh, I think it's lovely. Yeah. How do you support each other as bandmates as, as well as people in your own right? So whether it's making a mistake in a live set, covering for each other, whether it's in the songwriting process, how do you support each other as bandmates? And I guess as well, perhaps touring or the mm. emotional toll that it can take on, on being a band, work-life balance and stuff like that. Do you know what we get on as a group we are generally we have the best time <laughs> and yeah. if it ever does get a little bit heated or somebody's not feeling great everyone is kind of there just be like no it's all right mate like let's keep going let's yeah. keep working through it and so i think the band in itself in just the act of making the music 
it makes us happy. Mm. And so when we are touring or we're on the road, do you know what I mean? That we're going from place to place and it's we're tired or we haven't had anything to eat. It's just like, but we get to play tonight. Yeah. So that is the thing that keeps us going. And it's not almost just like get a gratitude list in a way. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. And not just get to play, but to get to play alongside one another. Yeah. And mm. that is the thing. Like we come off sometimes and we're like, I love you boys. Like this has been so good. Yeah, you know what I mean, absolutely. we came off at why not, and it I, was like, yeah, I cried when I come off at why not, just because of how like amazing it was. Just uh, there's a lot of love. Did it uh, feel spiritual? Because I can imagine it 100%. can feel quite spiritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, that is it. I think that's what it it always is. Actually, it's just like looking at each other, smiling at each other. I think we're having more fun, even though like you know you vibe off of the audience and stuff like that. I feel like we vibe off of each other more a lot of the time. I'm going to explain it. It's just yeah. kind of like sometimes, and that sounds bad. It's not that I don't care about the crowd, but I, as, long, as long as we're having fun, I think that's where like the uh, intensity I mean, is there, going to come from. There have been gigs where we are definitely having more fun than the, than the yeah. crowd, to be fair. <laughs> when we first started out, I think that was definitely the case. of like, what is going on up there? Yeah, absolutely. The best compliment a band can get, lads, in my opinion, is when someone says, you know, you clearly love playing with each other. You clearly all enjoy playing with each other. Is that one that you get and... Mm. Does that come down to the chemistry that you've obviously just spoken about there all the time? I think it's the I think it's the, the first thing that people say actually. Yeah. Which I don't know what that says about our music, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you look like you were having lots of fun up there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Pat but, on the head off. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But the, genuinely, that is really honestly the first thing that people say to us is that <laughs> I enjoyed that so much because you all looked like you were having so much fun. And this is not to you know speak badly about other bands that do this, but you know I think when you take it a bit too seriously, and sometimes that's the image of the song yeah, and the sure. band, you know, so you've got to do the brand, that, they've got to create. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I just can't imagine being up there and not making a little mistake and then looking over to Jack and laughing about it. Or, I yeah. mean, there's been times where we've like stacked it over each other on stage. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's hilarious. And we could get up and get on with it because we have that support net in each other. Absolutely. It is this fun experience. It's not, charged with this nervous energy we go in with a I don't want to say playful but it is kind of playful this kind of like very happy free idea of what the gig is going to be and then you're never disappointed because Mm. we played our hearts out and we've had fun with each other at the same time do you know what I mean so Mm. we do get that one a lot and and it always makes me really happy to hear that from people Mm -hmm. Jack I'll come to you now can you just tell me what's been happening with the band since the last time we spoke what you've got coming up and what else listeners can expect yeah, man. So 2019 was the last time, wasn't it? Yeah. So over lockdown, it was annoying because I think we thought 2020 was going to be like our. Oh year. yeah, yeah. Well, that was <laughs> that's how we went. But then it started off pretty good. Obviously, I think yeah, as most people did. But it was in a way like a bit of a blessing in disguise because we all kind of invested some of that lockdown money you know you weren't spending as much as you weren't going out so we all bought recording equipment and stuff as did i (laughs) so we were sending demos to each other a lot writing a lot more and that's what led to us writing these songs that we were going to record for an ep which led to us getting a record deal with uh golden robot who's like a, a big label in australia and then yeah releasing the ep which got into the charts i'm obviously like speeding this process up but yeah, the, the EP got into the charts for like a couple of days. Uh, I think it was like 16th in the album charts, first in the indie rock, second in the alternative. So wow, I mean that's it, big for indie. That's big for the number one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for the indie rock charts, that was. And we, st- I think we stayed in there for a couple of days, which was cool because obviously, like, you have to stay in there for a week for it to actually officially chart. But just to get in there and and say we uh, we charted is uh, is really really cool. So 
so yeah so since we've done we've done loads as always this band is like exceeded our expectations i think year on year like we started it just to write a song we just wanted to do one gig played several gigs played isle of wight done other festivals got a record deal had manager so it's one thing after the other and it's uh yes yeah, it's, it's been it's been amazing yeah now just writing again just releasing more and um more gigs and album at some point or that is always like, obviously the on dream. the horizon mm. yeah you don't want to i guess we've never wanted to rush that i think the debut album is so important that, mm. um, you can never redo it right yeah debut albums you do like your 10 debut, years yeah. in the making for a lot of bands isn't it really yeah, exactly, people think exactly. about it. once yeah. you do your debut you can never do it again do you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, so yeah we're very conscious of making it can you feel restricted Perfect. by that almost as well? I think yeah. so. I also just don't think albums are the way to release for artists our size anyway. I just don't think yeah. that albums are a viable. Yeah, until you get to a certain level. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And the, the state of the industry now is just like single, 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 single. Yeah, for the playlists. Exactly. Yeah. And until you've got a million fans and they're all saying, where's the album? Yes. Where's the album? Yeah. Where's the yeah. album? And then you release the album. But for ourselves, and we've said this recently, like to have an album, to do an album would be such a privilege. Yeah. To have that body of work out there that's, you know. It's yours. Yeah, exactly. And it's got all the songs in it that we've saved that we don't mm. want to put on an album because. Because you get that song to the bands. Yeah, they have yeah, all yeah. the singles that they all the fans know, and then they'll put an album out and they'll feel forced to kind of chuck a few of those popular ones yeah. just to like keep that fan satisfaction. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, hopefully. At some point, that's kind of the same with the singles thing. Like the industry now, it's getting to a point where I don't know if you notice songs that get played on the radio. They're like two minutes and ten seconds, and it's because bands are like, "We have to get played on the radio." So this four-minute song that we love, and we love all the music in it, we love all the lyrics, and we've got intro and right outro down. gone. Yeah, we've got to <laughs> cut it right down. Yeah. Like, get to the chorus in fucking three. Oh, can I? You can swear. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, get uh, to the chorus in three seconds. Like you know, it's literally getting ridiculous, and it's just. Oh, it's a TikTok. It's a TikTok trend now, isn't that it? That is exactly yeah. it. Yeah. Mate. Even though I'm saying that, like Connor's actually the one that will be like, "No, like let's just do the song as we is and how we love it." And I am actually the one trying to cut it down. Oh, I'd, I'd do a 16 minute epic song. Yeah. This is one yeah. string. <laughs> just cash, for just three cash minutes me. Just catch me, Led Zeppelin, on loop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit annoying. It's it kind of kills the fun of. But yeah, you got to kind of stay true to who you are and what and why you started it in the first place, which I think we do. Connor, I asked this question to Jack in part one, so I'll ask it to you now before we move on. What has your music journey and cavalcade taught you about yourself? Oh, it's a really interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in terms of music and listening to music, I, I think and Jack does this as well, just like listening to an eclectic body of music from a different range of genres has just kind of taught me different styles of creativity and different ways of telling a story in your music and I think with us moving forward with Cavalcade we're really keen to explore some of those other genres and other ideas such as I don't know I'm really into electronic music and I want to bring and during lockdown that's a broad term what who are we talking about here just (laughs) I I think like techno-y kind of stuff but not like fall to the floor like yeah yeah yeah. but like are you talking about like Paul Robinson's like last album that kind of stuff maybe or like when we saw the Snuts at Why Not, their little uh, skits in between their songs were like almost like housey, techno-y yeah, that's tunes. What, that's what Confidence Man do. That's yeah. why I fucking love And it Confidence was like played Man. in between these rock songs, but it was really cool. And I think that was a moment yeah. we looked at each other and we were like, we've got to try Parcels and do that, that. and their live shows. Yeah, yeah Parcels are big for that. And so in lockdown, I, I, I got a lot of equipment. I was using Ableton and making some like dance music basically mm. in my dad's shed. And... Uh, that was like, oh, maybe some of those things that I learned doing that, we can 
bring into some of these songs or bring into the live show. So we started thinking about that. Maybe yeah. not for the next couple of singles. So not Launchpad just yet. Not Launchpad no, on the not live quite, show. Not yet. quite. Well, I can't afford one. So. <laughs> yeah, it's not Maddie on. We're not Maddie on yet. Yeah, no. yeah. But in terms of like the, the cavalcade and my, and my musical journey with cavalcade, it's just like having that outlet has been so beneficial and being able to express myself through and ourselves through music both live and through lyrics and through the musicality of the songs just that crafting of a a piece of work has just been so beneficial i have to remind myself that we're very very privileged to have found each other and to have mm. that outlet with each other and in terms of a journey like getting to play abroad getting to play in manchester you know like i love manchester touring on the road meeting people who love our music but don't know us that was yeah. like the, when that started happening that was, was that like, quite oh surreal that first moment yeah honestly and there's a you know there's like a, a bloke and his son waiting in the front row singing our songs back at us and in manchester and you're like bloody hell like it's got some reach that is forever humbling i think yeah. so yeah i think this is a journey that's still continuing i just feel completely i'm so completely lucky to be doing it basically <laughs> We've talked once again about Cavalcade, so let's talk about both of your own mental health journeys now, chaps. Connor, I'll start with you, and I asked a question I asked Jack. So firstly, take me back to early life, teenage years, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? Who's the Connor we meet here? So I guess starting at the beginning, or sort of general background about me, I've always been quite an emotional person, which when I was younger, I think not like a young kid I think I was quite a happy child but certainly like going into my teens I was quite emotional so I could get quite angry very easily I could get quite upset very easily and I think back then I, I, I always viewed that as a as a weakness you know I would see red very quickly something would set me off to cry very quickly I would feel betrayed very easily I think all kids are a little bit like yeah. that though, because, you know, kids invest very quickly in relationships and when things don't go well. So I guess some of it was probably natural. Absolutely. But yeah, absolutely. I get what you mean though. Are there specific triggers or well, like I think things people said to you? or Very early on, I think I had some friendship issues very early on in school. And that was actually when I was mates with Jack, we kind of like fell out for a little while. And that really hit me hard when I was a kid. And, I, you know, I remember being quite young, maybe like 13 years old, 12 or 13 mm -hmm. years old and saying to my mum like, I hate this. I don't want to be here anymore. And I would like go into my room and I would have like pretty suicidal thoughts at times. And I would like not self-harm like in terms of like cutting myself or, but you know, like punching myself or like hit my head against the mm. wall. Or, and until very, very recently, like in the last few weeks, I've not really thought about that time very seriously. I always kind of just saw it as a way of acting out and not really a sign of actually being deeply unhappy in that time. But those friendship issues solved themselves and then very quickly my mental health became much better. And then moving forward to now, I view that emotional intelligence because I still feel that way now. I don't, I don't necessarily get angry anymore. I think I've found a way to place that emotion, you know. And as you say, growing up, I think you learn to grow past that. It's the important but, thing as men, though, to, to channel anger and channel emotion. I think it's one of the most important things we, can, can, we, we have to master, really, isn't yeah. it? Because when it goes wrong, for us, it can be curtains mate for the, our life paths yeah absolutely and I think now I view that emotional intelligence as or well I feel like I can be quite emotionally intelligent I, I see that emotional openness as a as a good thing now you mm. know like I, I'm able to confront things kind of as they happen rather than 
Reaction. bottling them up yeah, yeah. and sometimes that happens against my own free will you know if something's upset me or I feel vulnerable or whatever it is then then it will immediately manifest itself but in that way I, I kind of feel like I'm able to keep a not a lid on it I don't because there doesn't need to be a lid on it you but can I'm able the to valve more easily exactly yeah, yeah. I'm able to control it and understand what I'm feeling and why I'm feeling it it allows me to confront the root of the cause rather than it taking over if you yeah. know what I mean so do you feel you're able to read people better I think so. Sort of be a better bandmate as well. At the same yeah, time. yeah, I think so. And and you know, and, and and this is probably part of the conversation that we'll have later. But especially like supporting friends and supporting Jack through death of his dad and stuff. That was certainly a lesson that's helped me read people better. Like that is something that happened as part of my mental health journey and being around and supporting somebody who is struggling. That has taught me definitely how to read people. And I know that Jack has taught me a lot about that through his own growth through this whole process mm. he has taught me a lot about that and how to support people so mm. definitely I think it helps you read people better and it, it certainly helps you support your loved ones better as well I think yeah. yeah before we talk about how you've supported Jacket a bit more in detail mate can we just fast forward to university because when we spoke off air it was this period that you said provided the bulk of what we would class as mental health difficulties for you, despite what you said about you know self-harming and, yeah. that, and that suicidality period. And you experienced a lot of symptoms common with depression at this point. So just tell me what triggered it, if anything, and what your mental health state was like here. Yeah, at uni it was like, it was pretty dark to be honest with you. It was like, basically just wasn't getting out of bed and would be in bed for days at a time to the point where when I would get out of bed and walk into uni, my legs would hurt. I'd almost feel like I hadn't moved properly for like, days on end I'd all the food to the door I'd eat it in bed I'd sleep all day and I was pretty depressed but I didn't even know that that's what was happening at the time I just thought I was being lazy I just thought I was being a lazy uni student and that when I really started to think about it I think the, the root cause of it was probably me not being motivated myself so not mm. looking after myself having that demotivation it's a cycle poor mental exactly. health poor self-care exactly exactly I think there was um smoking a bit of weed back then probably exacerbated that situation not a lot but you know enough to for it to probably f make me lazy enough mm -hmm. to stay in that mm -hmm. state and then I woke up one day I think I called my dad I was just in tears I'd had a panic attack it's the first panic attack I'd ever had which you know is scary you really don't know what's Did it happening quite visceral like it was a heart attack yeah I thought I, was, I thought I was dying I thought the you know people say like the walls are caving in I was like the room was spinning I was in tears, I was pacing, I was like trying to, I didn't know where I was going. Like literally trying to get out of my house basically, but not being able to actually Like direct leave. yourself, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. And I called my dad, I was like, please come pick me up, come and get me. And then you get home and then you're in that environment of home where everything is safe and you know, you've got the home comforts, the familiarity. And then that was the point where I was able to be really, really vulnerable. Basically, ball my eyes out, hug my mum and really get to the root of it which is like I've got to look after myself I need to motivate myself for my studies I need to immerse myself because you know I wasn't going to lectures and then I went back after those three days or four days or whatever it was of being at home eating mum's cooking do you know what I mean having a nice cup of tea living in a clean environment and then went back and it was like whew, I'd shedded some of that weight and you know it didn't it didn't completely leave in that time there were moments where you could feel yourself regressing back into it but then knowing what the steps were to pull myself out of it. What were those steps? What got you through it? Getting out of bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally, it sounds silly. Getting out of bed, immersing myself in my studies, 
reaching out to friends. It would be those times it's like everyone's going out tonight and, I, and I'm not going. Well, haven't I been invited or whatever it is? And it's like, well, no, actually I haven't asked. I've not put myself in the situation to be in front of friends to be around and thought of. And I think back then the conversation about mental health and, no, and young men was no. even, you know, it was 10 years ago now, but it really wasn't really wasn't spoken thing, about. Yeah. So I think if it were to be today, I think friends would have checked in a lot more. Like I had housemates and stuff when we would chat and I love those guys. They were great, but it just wasn't a thing that we were aware of. So I think putting myself in the situation to make people aware that I'm even there to be helped or to be cheered up was a thing that definitely helped. Mm. Before we move on to you, Jack, I just want to talk about how you've supported Jack. Um, the listeners can go back to that part one that we did if you want to hear all about Jack's experiences with losing his dad but for you Connor what did you learn through him about the language you use behaviors being a support structure just listening to someone as well what did you learn through Jack about how you could support someone with their mental health I mean that event and you know Jack's dad's passing is like such a pivotal moment in my life because that was really the first time you know I've had grandparents pass away and stuff but that was really the first time that I've seen grief that visceral firsthand. And I admire Jack so much for the way that he dealt with those, you know, very immediately, those first few days and weeks, because he was there asking for support and asking for help and being vulnerable. And, you know, you, you've got friends that whose parents pass away and I, and I just didn't, I'd never seen it like that. Mm. I'd never seen somebody be so openly vulnerable about that and speak about the way Normally he's feeling. it's so closed off because it's so private to yeah. them. People feel so tentative because they don't want to stare at that pain for so long, do they? Because it's so visceral, it's so intense. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And, it, and like you say, it usually gets shut off behind closed doors. But when it happened, you know, I hope Jack doesn't mind me saying this, but his parents were away, it happened abroad. So we were the only people there. And so we were behind the closed doors in that respect. Mm. Like we, we were on there with you when it mm. happened. And so Jack's whole dealing of that whole situation was really, really admirable and, and being vulnerable. And then that really led us and opened up in the coming years, you know, to us being able to have these very, very open conversations about mental health. And when Jack would feel a certain way, he would tell us and it would help us support him because we would know that it was mm. happening. And I think that really has taught me and, I, and I'm sure the other guys as well that this band is, is a support network in that respect. Part of it, and it, it, it doesn't mean to sound morbid, but part of it is unified by that event. Like I think it is part of the structure of Cavalcade is this trauma that Jack went through that we all went through in a way. And I think that has led to that, so you know, like we said earlier, that supportive air, that fun that we have is like because we have, we have actually got each other You've gone through the bad times yeah. and the good times feel better now, yeah. even more so than they perhaps would have done before. And, you know, and it makes Jack really amazing at supporting us, you know. I think that Jack's emotional intelligence and his power when he speaks to other people who are struggling with mental health is like, it's huge. I know, I know that people come to Jack very often telling him that how they feel and knowing that he's been through something and he's able to support them, he's able to support myself. And yeah lots of other people so you're in my world now Jack <laughs> you've become the holder of a lot of secrets <laughs> uh, Con you said to me off air when it came to Jack it was my biggest lesson but also my biggest interaction just tell me what you meant by that I think 
death is is something that is so mystified in our society and we don't like to look it in the face no and that happening was looking that process in the face not from my perspective it didn't happen to me but seeing your best friend somebody you love so much go through that that was so huge that was a big lesson that these things can be dealt with these things are normal they occur they happen to everyone at some stage in their life in one way or another and you know the lesson there was like you can overcome this but really you can't ever overcome it without the support of the people that you love and I really really felt that in that time it was a turning point I think about it very very often it really was a turning point in the way that we or, or I approach mental health and life and existence and all of that stuff it was a real real moment that it hit hard you know it was a real seminal moment yeah, yeah. for sure yeah. for sure Jack before we come to your mental health journey how did you feel hearing that yeah a lot of the stuff that he just said made me want to cry because it's very lovely to hear especially like the um well obviously the uh stuff just saying I guess how it's nice to hear someone again that you love and you're very close to say how strong you are at for a time when I guess it's still very blurry very very blurry for me but I'm taking the positives from it but yeah also <laughs> it's quite I guess it then also half of it I was like oh shit like thinking back to it is very difficult too but yeah no it's lovely and it, it, I don't know I guess maybe my perspective now is very much like take the positives from everything and kind of glass, glass half, half full, half full yeah. yeah so hearing all that like obviously I wish it never happened so that we didn't have to go mm-hmm. through all this kind of stuff. And as Connor said, he mentioned it wasn't just my trauma. It was everyone's trauma. It was traumatic for everyone. But in a way, now this sounds weird. It's not that I'm glad it happened, but I'm glad that we've taken something really positive mm-hmm. from it. You're done it has, that as well. Mate. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it has 100% made us the people we are today. Mm. And it has 100% opened us up to kind of, yeah, like our emotions, to be more emotionally and openly vulnerable, to cry in front of each other. It's normal for us to cry in front of each other, (laughs) which is actually really fucking good. Yeah, so in a way, as I said, not to, you know, look at it and be like, ah, and like ignore the sadness and the trauma Mm -hmm. of it, but like I think it's really healthy to take away such positives from that. Jack, let's dive into you now. Let's pick up from where your last episode ended. Without being done on time, I just realised what you said. <laughs> Who's the Jack? It's the monster off the rails. Who's the Jack we meet now? Oh, what? Since Sorry, since the last part. Yeah, since the last part. I think, yeah, I think I kind of just, just started diving into that then. Oh, it's a weird one, actually. I guess we'll delve in deeper to it. But um, I'm much more positive. I take more positives from, from negative situations. Much more open, much more vulnerable, much more oh I don't know how to really put it it's more reflective self-aware yeah yeah definitely more self-aware and definitely like in the last few weeks I've just like randomly met strangers for example and I'll just kind of be completely open with them like I was actually telling the, these two guys the other night I went to a gig on uh, on Thursday just telling them about the, the body dysmorphia stuff which I'm sure we'll obviously come on to in a bit mm-hmm. and they were like wow that's something that maybe I'd if I was suffering from it, like would only tell my best mate, but it would take me actually years to probably yeah. tell them. And you're just telling me right now. And I was just saying how like important it is to be openly vulnerable. I mean, and I'm not saying everyone has to have this. Mm-hmm, of course. And I'm very aware that, you know, people can be as open or as vulnerable as they want to be. But in terms of who I am now compared to maybe back then, and I always say like pre my dad dying, etc. 
I'm a lot more happily, openly vulnerable with anyone. And I'm very, I like spreading, like, not spreading my message, but good being, vibes. Being that way yeah. as well and being that open, I think, is really important to me. If I can, you know, come away on my deathbed that I've just helped one person mm. be a bit more, kind of share their um, experiences and, yeah, open up a bit more. I think I'd be really happy. Mm. So that's, I guess, why. Your podcast, the first part, contained a very educational, informative, it was very eye-opening to me, discussion about derealization. So since then, how do you manage it now? Have you gotten better at it or even managed to overcome it? Yeah, so I never want to say I'm completely overcome something mm -hmm. because whereas before the derealization spells would be kind of, I mean, at one point it was 24-7. It was, it was constant. I was constantly on edge being like curled up in a ball in bed just kind of shivering and stuff so basically i went through therapy and they uh eventually did something called exposure therapy which was bringing me to the point of a panic attack and i always compare it in, i kind of make a not a joke out of it but in willy wonka when they're on the boat and it's like <laughs> the wheels keep on turning oh, and like you know and it's like, and again, yeah, yeah, yeah she was like she was doing this and she kept asking me questions to the point where like i felt like her questions were raising the water underneath my chin to the point where in the session I like was kind of like looking to the ceiling to kind of get air because like I was gasping, she, she brought me gasping, into the yeah. place that I was scared to go the most, which was basically like my world collapsing in on me. And then when I got there and when I was at the point of like where I thought no return, she then started to like immediately ground me. Like even now, by the way, I can like tell my voice like I'm quite yeah not not in a bad way. I feel yeah, good. Yeah. I, I I have good COVID. Like I'm not anxious or anything, but it's like a it make it rivals me up because yeah, it's kind yeah. of like fuck oh, that memory is like it's visceral it's intense yeah yeah but it's like i'm i'm happy even though i sound shaky right now i'm like happy because i've come out of that it's kind of like looking back on it and being mm. like fucking hell i feel so much better hindsight's 2020 isn't it yeah, yeah 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 but yeah she brought me right out of it and in those moments i learned you know like when she was bringing out of it like i do this thing a lot where i kind stims, of clench my call it stims right yeah, yeah. clench my hands together a lot I've noticed even through this, I'll move my feet, kind of tilt my head back a lot uh, if I'm feeling funny. If I'm having an actual DP episode, by the way, it'll last about a second. And in that second, I'll just shut my eyes and take a deep breath and um, open my eyes again and it's gone. So basically what it taught me is that like she took me to the point I was scared to go, brought me out of it and brought me back to reality, if you like. And because that's happened now, like that's the worst it'll ever get. Since that day, literally, that was February 2021. I've not had a panic attack or anything like that Brilliant, since. Let's, can we give that a clap? Let's give yeah, that a clap. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm a bit like shaky now, but it's because I'm like so like excited. The adrenaline's free. By the you. fact yeah, that yeah, like, yeah. like, and also putting myself back in just then thinking about that time. I think I want to get up and box now because I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. like, oh it used to be so You're going to sprint home. You're going to sprint <laughs> home after this. Yeah. But I wouldn't say I'm cured because like, it, no. I still have those thoughts. I think they're more thoughts now. It's like, oh, but what if? And then I'm like, no, it's fine. You can like, take them out of your head. Yeah, yeah. I'm really very... I, when I have intrusive thoughts like that, in my head, I uh, imagine like you're minimizing a window in an mm. internet browser. So I do that and it takes it out. So yeah. that's the mechanism yeah. I use. But I, I used to do the, like, the Dumbledore thing. I'd pretend that I was taking the thought. Love that. Like, Love that. Yeah. 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 The pen sieve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chuck it, it away. Yeah. Yeah. Always yeah. Harry Potter with you. You mentioned it earlier in the pod, mate, but a recent mental health or body condition that you wanted to discuss is your diagnosis of body dysmorphia. And I've spoken with 
previous guests about this, both male and female, about body dysmorphic disorder or BDD as it's called. So is your diagnosis the same as BDD specifically? Is it different? And how does it affect you in your day-to-day life? Yeah, so I'll quickly say uh, it's not an official diagnosis. I uh, had a therapist who was a doctor who basically said, everything you've just said all the symptoms are like she essentially yeah, sure. said like and, and i believe if a doctor i don't know if i'm i might be wrong by the way but if they're a doctor them saying it is technically as good as a diagnosis yeah or, yeah, yeah just about paying all the cash for official diagnosis yeah like, exactly like, yeah. Yeah. yeah so um so but i mean i'd like you know if, if you google it like every symptom like you know it's weird because i think i've always been very insecure however what actually triggered it was I thought, you know, when you look at selfie, you self promote and you look in the in the mirror. Mm-hmm. It's really stupid. I thought that was how people saw me. I didn't realise it was actually flipped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your fringe was like this, and it's actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember, like, I know, it's not that I. I think I did know that, but I, basically, one time I saw, and I, I preferred the selfie version. I know it sounds it sounds really weird. No, no, keep going, keep going. But I preferred the selfie version, and then it got to the point where I was like, hang on, I just want to kind of like video myself and see what other people see. And then I would notice, because it was different, because it's just flipped, I think I would notice kind of like, is it asymmetrical or like, I thought I had quite a symmetrical face and... Oh, then you started looking, overthinking about stuff like that and nitpicking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe my nose like leaned slightly to one side that I didn't realise it did or like maybe, I mean, I don't actually want to really say like, because I don't want other people to then kind of start looking for things that that I'm hateful of. Uh, It's really weird. But like basically, especially recently, I started doing it every day and there was a point where I couldn't leave the house until I, I felt like I looked good. Mm. And then after kind of getting a video where I felt like I looked good, it would be about to leave the house or about 10 minutes later, I'd have to go and do it again to just confirm that that video was good enough. Mm. Um, which is, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Mm. Um, but I guess it's more trying to kind of not ignore that, but kind of like, I'm trying to seek perfection, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like I'm trying to kind of teach myself that that's not, that's not We normal. can never achieve perfection, <laughs> yeah. mate. We and like, to just that. love yourself for who you are. Because I, I do love myself in like ways where I think I'm a very good person, good friend. I don't think I'm like bad looking as such, but it's just, it's obviously like, no one's perfect. And I should love who I am on the inside rather than trying to look you know, it's 10 out of 10 or so. Mm. It's, 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 it's so odd. It honestly mm. baffles me as well. Mm. A lot of your BD, when talking to your fair jack, seems to form around school or a trigger around school where you received some teasing about your appearance. Would that be fair? You know, did it come from that? And did one lead to the other? Or was that the origin of it? Or was it not? I don't know. I Because don't, I, I don't think I was ever, like, bullied. But I think as kids, obviously... Any imperfection stands out. If you've got big ears, you're getting picked yeah, up for it. 100%, you know I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I think what it was is because I think where I wasn't maybe consistently under like it, it's weird. If I was consistently maybe bullied for things, mm-hmm. I could probably just be like, oh, I'd accept it faster. If I hear me out a sec, because basically I think. I can pinpoint up the three times people have pointed things out as oh, grown up. Oh, I see. And because yes, it's yes. only these one, one-off occurrences, and it's only happening... They're magnified. I go home yeah. and fucking like yeah. look into that deeply and religiously. And, that, and that's kind of showing at the minute where maybe someone's triggered it by saying something that then I go and then I'll film and I'll be like, what are they seeing? How do mm. I... 
And I think, yeah, whereas if it was consistently growing up, I'd probably learn to own it and just kind of take the piss out of it myself. Yeah, it's easy for you to say. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, do you know what I mean? It's, oh, yeah, no, exactly. That's, <laughs> yeah. Exactly, like, I can't compare, exactly, because I didn't get that, but I guess that's probably... That's the fairest way to explain it, no, I get Yeah, you. from my point of view, anyway. You, you said to me there's, like, a real extreme in how the BB affects you. So one day you might feel absolutely amazing... And then yeah. one day you might feel absolutely horrendous. You might think you're ugly or, or all these horrible things. Can you just explain that flux to the it, listeners who might be confused? That's also weird, mate. I, I called it a God complex, didn't I? Which sometimes I think I'm the absolute bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> I know, mate. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think I look, I'm sick. I look amazing. I, I'm cool. And, and then other times I'm like, yeah, like, you know, I came close to tears just then just talking about the BD stuff. So it is obviously... But it is, it, it varies. I think, to bring it back to the band, the band, when we're doing stuff, I'm quite addicted to the band. I'm addicted to live shows. And I don't think it's because that, that's where I feel cool. And I'm, I'm like, because, uh, you know, having BD in that, being on stage with all those eyes on you from an angle that's like... Yeah, I, on I, one sense, it can be the height of insecurity, but you feel the most secure when you're on stage. I feel like, like home. Yeah. yeah, I feel so comfortable. And I think what it is, is that being in the band and playing live and that feeling, that dopamine here, whatever it is, that... that I then ride off of that feeling for about a week or two. And then if we don't do a gig or we don't rehearse or we don't play music and I don't get that hit, I notice that the videos of myself or whatever start creeping back in. And that's also unhealthy because I can't rely on Yes. That. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's not just the band, does it? I guess it's kind of other things as well. Or Yeah, I, I, yeah it's weird. I'm trying to work that one out. Mm. For listeners who might know someone who's got BDD, or they might suspect it, and they or they might think, oh, this person's just a bit vain, but actually might be something deeper. Mm. What advice would you give them from your experience about how they can talk to someone or support someone who's got BDD? What are the right things to say, basically, if you see someone who's maybe a bit edgy before they go out, whether it's boys or girls, but particularly boys, obviously, for the purpose of the conversation. So, what would my advice be to someone who seems like they have BDD? So, or... first of all, someone who know someone who's got it and wants to support them oh i yeah. see yeah i mean advice i've been given which is actually really helpful as hard as it is like i'm quite addicted at the minute to video myself which is really bad mm. and i don't really talk about that enough but uh i try and avoid mirrors i try and avoid video myself yeah and that really helps i kind of not got over it as such but i stopped video myself for a long time because i just started to kind of really positive affirmations of like you as a person are good like remind myself of like random compliments people have given me about me mm. rather than what I look like. Like I don't care about compliments about what I look like. I actually want to, you know, people like me because I'm a nice person and I'm this mm. and that. And I think that and then like stopping looking in the mirrors when I didn't have to, mm -hmm. for example, because a lot of the time I noticed the BD was getting bad for the first time because every car I'd walk past, I'd look in the fucking mm. reflection. Do you know what? And I wouldn't say I've got a diagnosis of BDD, but I certainly... I'm very conscious of the way that I look and look in mirrors a lot to check what I look like. Mm. And the walking past car thing is like a... I've been doing that for years. Mm -hmm. I do and that like, sometimes. And in like, yeah, in the windows of the houses you walk past. And I forget, and this sounds so stupid to say it, they even mention it, but the version of yourself you see in those reflections is also warped. It's like a bent window. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds really stupid, but I, I, I think there was a point in my mind, maybe a couple of years ago, I was like, I need to stop doing that and thinking that I need to turn around and go home because that's like a warped perspective of yourself and I think exactly. I think that warping of perspective happens even when you know it happens on your phone when you see the image flipped and it happens 
when you see pictures of yourself online in different contexts, I think that warping of your self-image is like constantly going on. I find it hard to keep up with that because it's like, well, one day I look like this and I'm wearing the same shirt in this other picture, but why do I now not look good? And I'll, I'll latch onto that, what I deem to be a bad image 100%. rather than the hundred other. And, and this is all like talking about social media, I guess, but like those are the only times you ever see yourself. So it's easy to latch mm. onto that. I just want to, pose this next question in the form of a situation so say you're both going out boys and both you are getting ready you're in the same flat or house and jack starts getting a bit tetchy a bit edgy he's checking the mirror too much what jack would Connor need to say to make you feel better oh. take your time don't worry we're not rushing out like stuff like that or would it be more positive affirmations ah uh, yeah yeah and a cuddle <laughs> I think I genuinely like I, know, yeah. it yeah. it, but I think because it's a really tricky one because and like this is what happened when I think I was kind of edging around the. I didn't know what BDD was when I was definitely experiencing it and trying to vocalise it for the first time and what everyone's reply would be is but you're paying mate you get girls yeah, mate classic, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I felt like I was coming across like I was a narcissist for a while I questioned whether I was a narcissist and I was like, looked up symptoms, like looked at whatever as you do, mm. you go and Google, and like, I'm not far, very fucking far from it. But it's because the obsession with the self-image thing obviously can come across like it can come across quite like you only care about yourself. Yeah. yeah, people would lead to that thinking. Yeah, which is false. But yeah, in terms of that like situation, if anything, you just want to direct it away from the visual aspect. You just want to, like I said, the reason I just want to cuddle and just be like, look, man you're good or like you know yeah. point it inwards rather than what's on the outside is because I'm trying to teach myself that's more important and that I'm not the main character in um, in a film do you know what I mean like everyone isn't looking at me at all points like mm. I think that's another thing I on the train now where I've been videoing myself so much I'll sit a certain way because I'm happy with this angle of my face rather than this one and it's mm. it's getting like stupid we were chatting off air and there was a deep agreement that when it comes to men, issues around our body and sexuality are ones just really get our back. Heterosexual men, I should say, are just ones that really get our backs up. We feel the most stigma, and I, I feel stigma for, for sure. Why do you think that is? What explains it? Like, I, I'm trying to figure it out. Like, why is there that stigma? Wait, sorry, stigma... Around, like, our body image. Oh, like, right. Talking about our body image, talking yeah. about sexuality, you know, when you're talking about the videos, you got really kind of emotional saying about why you were taking so many videos. I mean, yeah. that doesn't sound on the surface like something that should make you feel really upset, but it did. So where's yeah. the stigma there? I why is it, that? Connor mentioned it a minute ago, and I think I said to you beforehand, social media, I think, mm. I think subconsciously maybe, or it is like the perfect life. Like, everyone's... You, know, you only post the perfect images of yourself the perfect uh, the highlight reels yeah of course yeah and um, I think where I work in social media done the band social I mean not just me obviously but you know work largely on the band social media have my own social media I'm constantly kind of on it oh yeah like have a bad addiction to it to be honest and yeah I guess also like I never really uh, this is again I guess from my perspective but I guess cameras as well and camera phones because I, I just thought like going for a uni where our camera phones are quite rubbish and you're just going nights out. Yeah, ish, no, BB's early iPhones, just about, and, and the cameras of, weren't none great. None of my mates would really take photos on nights out. I'd never get mates, them. Mates, boys don't. Yeah, boys yeah don't. exactly. And like <laughs> since maybe like post-university, and again, Instagram was only at the like final third year of uni. I think it came mm. out literally as we were leaving mm. uni. 
it all kind of correlates like more people are taking more photos and joining the band obviously when you kind of play a gig there's usually photographers there that'll yep. send you photos there's loads of photos yeah. yeah and it's like you know it only takes maybe a few photos seeing yourself at a bit of a dodgy angle where you like Connor said they are dodgy latch. angles as well yeah yeah <laughs> and you, you latch yeah because up the nostril yeah, yeah exactly yeah, 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 yeah. and you, you latch onto that and you think I look like that all the time so I think it's that social media cameras and camera phones and like and yeah all, the, yeah. all these apps like this be real for example, yeah, it's just about taking a photo of where you are at that moment, and you Sometimes have to my take sister one to explain that to me the other day. I was like, I ain't doing that. Yeah. No, mate, I'm just. Yeah. I also think just to add on to what Jack's saying. I think with men and their body image, I think body positivity has been a huge thing in the last few years about body positivity in general for both genders, and I feel like men have been, and this is not, and I think this is partly due to the fault of the men, not anybody else, but men have been left out of that wave of body positivity in a way. So you're seeing all of these different kinds of body types on social media, mostly for women. But I think because men are so cagey about being vulnerable, we've kind of left ourselves out of that wave, by and large, out of that wave of body positivity. And so we're seeing it represented in so many other people and so many other different types of people and not ourselves that it almost feels like the weight of that is then crushing because we're yeah. not seeing the other images. I sometimes feel like some, some of it is a bit hyperbolized as well. Like, I think there are flaws because like, you know, you see like trends like the dad bod, but then it's like Leonardo DiCaprio with the dad bod. It's like, well, yeah, obviously, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio could be 20 stone and he could exactly. still be one of the hottest guys in the world. Like mm. when it's like Dave from Salford, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> beach, I don't think all the girls are going, oh, I love a dad bod. No, exactly, yeah. Yeah. No offence to people from Salford, I'm just plucking yeah, the name yeah. out of the air. Like, do you get what I mean? Like, I feel like it's a bit like, uh, some of that is for show. Yeah, I it's think so. Yeah. I think so. And it's difficult, isn't it? Because you, especially, in, uh, I hate to bang on about the social media thing, but it's such a prevalent force in our mental health. So mm. I'm a teacher at secondary school and I can see firsthand the What's effect doing to that the that's lads? having yeah. on, uh, yeah, on all, literally on all of them. I think, you know, there was that case recently in the news of that young girl who committed suicide and... and, and, and self-harm. It was, self -harm self -harm. it was directly correlated with social media. Yeah, pro-self-harm accounts. Yeah. yeah, you know, I think seeing that effect is... For me as a teacher, I can see that happening in young people and be like, oh, it's such a shame, but I don't take the time to consider mm. how is it affecting me and mm. really kind of... Yeah curating the content that you're receiving yeah. how it affects adults can't health. control their own social media uses like, no. you know, kids can't stand a chance no absolutely yeah. not so I think yeah just sorry to back, be no, no. back of what it's Jack good, was saying like, I think we need to include ourselves in that body positivity mm. to each other with our mates mm. and encourage each other to be better if there's something we want to improve but also to accept the flaws that we have mm. in that moment and you know like Jack said remember that's not the only thing about us our outward physical perception is only a small part of like yeah. who we are as a person mm. yeah I worry massively for Gen Z because a lot of what they're being chucked at now you know the Love Island culture and the lads have all got six packs eight packs mm. spare abs and I see it you know in the gym I go to now my gym is like a, a bodybuilding gym it's not kind of like toxic it's just kind of like people are just there to just sort of lift weights and go home and the kids coming in now I feel like there's so much pressure on them mm. they're coming in younger they're trying to lift weights heavier, which is not going to work. Their bodies no. are still developing. The straight lads, obviously, I'll, I'll put in the brackets. They're obviously trying to appeal to the opposite sex. And it's like, mm. where's that going to lead to? Are they going to start doing roids? Are they going to start getting mm. on gear earlier? Like, where's it going to lead to? I just, I fear massively mm. for the kids. Yeah. Same. Yeah. And those trends go in all kinds of different directions, don't they? It's like, it's worrying because, you, you, you know, especially talking about their mental health, they're so susceptible and yep. you worry how much of that mental health is going to lead to 
avoidable issues yes. for their mental health. Yeah. And, and it's a great platform. It's a platform that could be used to yeah, actually it's a tool. Yeah, discourage yeah, yeah. those yeah. things or, or to help people heal from their trauma or to drive them away from having BDD and being able to accept themselves. But currently, and I fear probably forever, it won't be used in that way. You know, it's a tool to sell our stuff and sell this perfect body image. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm on Twitter because, you know, for various reasons, but the algorithm, I'm very openly a long time sufferer for my sins of Huddersfield Town. And all I get sent now is algorithms of people saying how shit we are. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. fans, I'm like, why do I get sent? I know we're shit. Yeah. Stop sending me tweets about from accounts saying how shit oh, we are. Mate, I know. Do you know what? I'm talking about algorithms. <laughs> this is another thing that has to do with my mental health. My Instagram or whatever is feeding me like it's these. I'm not even interested now, yeah. in it. It's like crypto hustler oh, you get that? people. Oh, right. And that's not what I'm interested in at <laughs> yeah. all. I think those people are complete wankers. <laughs> and Sorry, I was trying to think of a different word no, for no, that. You but, yeah, We've yeah. gone past the point where I'll edit out the swearing, so we can't. Um, but I get fed it, and then there's a point where I'm like, hang on, but why am I not investing all of my spare money, which I definitely don't have you know, in the current climate, in this side hustle subconsciously Why it does not, affect you doesn't it yeah. it, it really does it's like am I failing am I now living in a world where I'm actually not achieving my peak performance in mm. like do you know what I mean and mm. uh, it's so weird you've got all those people online like Andrew T- I don't know, like everyone say do you know what I mean yeah. but like it's like Grifters. it's really weird yeah. yeah you kind of you feel like you should somehow be a part of that world even though I was never going to be, or I don't yeah. want to be, but I'm fed it. Yeah, grifting is an online culture now, whereas before it was that random guy in your year who ends up joining a pyramid scheme and trying to get you on it when you're like 21 yeah. years old. But now yeah. like, everyone is grifting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I find it so strange. But yeah, that definitely has an effect on, on my mental health because mm. I'm like, hang on a minute, is everyone doing this? Yeah. But they're not. <laughs> they're no, not. No. It's like, yeah. The final part of your journey I wanted to discuss, boys, is covid because connor mm. you said jack was a big part of your support network during lockdown so just tell me how you both helped each other through that yeah it was a funny old time really wasn't it it was God, like it was. Yeah, yeah very very strange and we were both in our respective kind of parents places and just knowing that each other were there you know the zoom calls the oh i've made this little bit of music today and sending it over that was really comforting to know that that was there and, you know, as soon as we could go out, Jack and I would talk all the time and we mm. do talk all the time. I'll call him after work all the time and stuff. As soon as we were allowed to, and, you know, COVID was still going on, but there were slight restrictions yeah. lifted. We could go on a walk or whatever. It was immediately, we were like straight to each other. I became very aware in that point in time that Jack was a big part of my support network. And then we'd go on long walks. You know, we walked bloody miles into the centre of London one day. Yeah. And that was really, really comforting to know that Jack was there during that time. And still that little backbone of music was there the whole way through, which was really, really nice. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was getting out on those walks in particular that was, uh, that was good. Cause, what was it? I, I, it was weird. I, I had COVID and then I had, first walk I went on, I had a panic attack and it was with Connor. I think COVID... Maybe you tell me when you had COVID. You fucked up quite me bad, a didn't lot. It? Yeah, yeah, like it gave... I still can't smell and taste as like I used to. It gave me prosmia, it's called. So like everything's distorted, but for a long time I couldn't smell uh, mm. or taste for like six. Yeah, so for those first six months after March twenty twenty was when I got it, mm. and like six months after I couldn't smell or taste anything. So that's taken away two of my five grounding senses in itself. Mm. There, but I had anxiety anyway, but it just you know made it ten times worse. But yeah, Connor was with me on that first walk where I had the panic attack, but then was the one being like, look, you have like he wouldn't p- pressure me, but he was like, you have to keep coming out and we'll go on walks together mm. and if you have a panic attack I'll Consistent. be there yeah. and because you know I think after that panic attack I was fearful to leave the house so like even from the, the start of that kind of lockdown he was like look we got to, yeah go for a walk it'd be nice 
And like there would be times where like, do you want to just I don't I need to stop you know I have to stop mm. and stand still for yeah. on the pavement for a bit just to kind of like and he'd be like that's fine like and and then the panic attacks became less and the walks, just a uh, fucked up time in it just it was horrible just mad to think about those two years like what we lost what we ended up doing what we had to do yeah yeah, yeah. just mad just mad Intense. let's reflect on your mental health journeys if we can so there was a question that I wanted to ask you Jack before this. So I want to try and ask you, and it might take you a couple of seconds to bring it up, but you posted a screenshot of a really nice text that you got from your dad to oh, mark yeah. the fact that he died four years ago. Oh yeah, the one about year. farting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do, you mind, do you mind reading that out? Oh, shit. Oh, it's in your, it's your phone. Go and get it. I'll yeah. cut the pause time. I'll cut yeah. the pause time. Oh, fuck. Uh, I can't remember what it was, you know. I should have screenshot it on my phone, but... Doesn't have to be that one, by the way. It could be just a great one. I just wanted to just read yeah, it. Yeah, there out are here. some crackers, mate. Is no, that the one about farting? Is that yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> the one I saw. I loved yeah. it. Hang on. Uh... So, for the listeners of context, you didn't listen to part one. Jack's dad loved farting and telling <laughs> Jack about his farting. Uh... I mean, it was it was common knowledge for all of us, I think, as well at the time. Right, so we've had a bit of a look, and you can't find the exact text, but you can remember it from memory. So, tell yeah. me what your dad said. So, uh, during university. I was had an exam the next day. My mum does Reiki. She what the hell's that? It's like you have a pendulum and you swing it and shit. And like, oh, it's <laughs> right. energy. Oh, it's energy, spiritual yeah. shit we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So she would like text me and send me Reiki. Right. Like in the uh, <laughs> in the, in the ether. Yeah. So he was like, "Mum's sending you Reiki, and I'm sending you a rather large fart." <laughs> uh, my son. But I'd have loads. Like there was one I just found then as well where he was like. Where's the emoji turd? And then, like, the, he tried to find it. You could see it was like he typed on Mumbo Jumbo, and then the next thing it popped up, and he was like, There it is. Uh, but yeah, I've got a lot of texts on there. A lot of ones, uh, yeah, I went back through every text we had and just screenshotted them all, so mm. I have them all on file. Amazing. Fun. And for you, Connor, I asked this question to Jack in part one. So, A, what has this mental health journey taught you about yourself? And B, if you could go back and talk to that 11, 12 year old Connor who was thinking about self-harming, thinking about suicide, or perhaps the 18-year-old Connor who was stuck in that depression in university, struggling to get out of bed, or the Connor who was struggling through lockdown, what would you say to him knowing what you do now? So I think the biggest thing I've learned in terms of a mental health journey and thinking about mental health is that everyone suffers in one form or another, but that suffering doesn't have to be shameful it doesn't have to be hidden it doesn't have to be a big deal recognizing that everybody in some way has their own cross to bear and they are dealing with something at any given time whether that's body dysmorphic depression other mental health issues knowing that really what you need to do is support other people and they will support you if you have those people around you i know that's not always the case for some people you know depending on their situation but giving that support and receiving that support is really, really important because ultimately it helps you understand it. I know now that if I were to ever face something like Jack faced and the trauma of that and the shock of that, I've learned a lesson on how to deal with that. And that burden is eased because of the lessons that I've learned from observing other people and learning from them and their openness. So I think if you're open, other people will open to you. I think that's where it all lives. I think that's how we all get along and understand each other. I think that's the cure. I think 
and not to make it too political, but like I think a lot of these people who are in our society and our politicians and stuff, they aren't able to sympathise. They aren't able to open themselves up in a way that they understand people. And I think that's led to the situation we're in. I think it leads to conflicts in society. I think being open is really important. And if I were to speak to myself back then, I think I would say to myself the same thing. Show those people that are making you unhappy. Show them your vulnerability. You know, face it head on. Don't hide away in your room and be upset. Say to someone, and it, it, it's so true, isn't it? Be open. Say something about how you're feeling if you can. And I would say that's the same thing to my young self in recognising and asking your friends if they're okay as well. It never gets old saying that. Just bears repeating continuously forever and ever and ever, especially for young men. Our final topic of conversation, chaps, and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests. This is a general natter and chat about mental health. So, Jack, you've had this conversation already, so I'm going to do the bulk of the questions with Connor. How is your mental health at the moment, Con? It's pretty good. I think, you know, that I've got all the, the normal stresses that everyone goes through in terms of work and stuff. I think it's really hard not to feel this kind of global, national sense of dread at the moment and feel pretty disillusioned with the way that the world is going. And that has been a cause of a, the cause of, sorry, a little bit of existential dread, if you like. I think, not to make it too deep, but, you know, the country is in a shambles. I don't want to date the podcast too much, but <laughs> Prime Minister's just resigned after 44 days. That could be any year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 2024. There is a global conflict. I teach a lot of kids who've arrived from Ukraine. So that is quite first-hand like, experience of, of seeing the effects of some of that conflict. And actually, you know, interacting with lots of kids who are fleeing conflict globally as well. And I think that is like the biggest source of worry for me at the moment. The housing market is like, I'm, I'm starting to talk about and think about saving money to buy a house and that seems pretty impossible at the moment and that is I think probably the biggest threat to my mental health is like not knowing where I stand in society in terms of my future mm. you know and I, th and I think that definitely no speaking to friends that like, I'm not alone in that mm. I think that is a worry and I think it leads to feeling like you're failing in a way because like oh my god how have three of my mates got a, a flat and a house and they're looking to buy another but I haven't but you have to remember your circumstances and the thing you know mm. so that's the biggest threat to my mental health but generally I'm, I'm actually very very, okay. very good at oh, that's good. Yeah. what age were you when you became self-aware of your mental health for the first time and you realised that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually a product of your mental health oh my god yeah difficult question I think probably just as you start puberty I mm -hmm. reckon everything before that is just kind of like monkey brain just lashing out kind of instinctively maybe like 12 or 13 years old I think mm -hmm. maybe a little bit earlier yeah can you tell me about the first conversation you ever had with someone about your mental health so who was it with what did you say and did it feel like a big burden or weight even lifted on one hand or did it feel like something quite easy insignificant and normal to do on the other do you know what it probably that conversation probably came much much later and I, I, I was speaking to somebody that I knew who'd been abroad and Basically, had had a panic attack of being abroad and come had come back to get counselling. And in my mind, I was like, I'm quite close to this person. And I was like, hang on a minute, what? You're go Sorry, you're going to counselling because you felt, felt anxious about being abroad. And I couldn't wrap my head around it. Initially, my reaction was like, what? Sorry, you, you, it made you have a panic attack. And then in speaking to that person, I was like, oh, okay. I actually understand that now. And 
that was the first conversation I'd had about with somebody else about how they were feeling and then understanding that the processes that they felt like they had to go through to deal with that. So I think actually that's the first proper conversation where like mental health was clearly the topic. And then, and then later than that, there was a friend at uni who unfortunately lost their friend to suicide. And that was the first kind of experience I had seeing it firsthand, like mm. the effects of poor mental health or, or not poor mental health, but you know, dealing with mental health mm. on, on somebody. So, yeah. What things do you find in life that trigger your mental health? So it could be things people say, sounds, sensations, social environments, or have you not figured all of them out yet? Uh, to be honest, I don't think I've figured it all out yet. I think feeling like I'm going to fail is a really, really big trigger. I think feeling like I'm not doing a good job, I think is, is, a, bit, is a bit of a trigger for me. Yeah, in general. I, th I have like a, a very strange like sleep thing. Sometimes I've not slept very well. I kind of wake up in this delirious state in the middle of the night, which is quite weird. Like so I think like state. lack of sleep. Yeah, yeah. I'm like very confused. It's very strange. I get this thing of like multiplying numbers up to a number that my brain can't comprehend. And I'm like, Ugh, just like I need to sleep. But I think that comes with like exhaustion as well. So mm. like getting a good night's kip is really important. <laughs> well, well, speaking of that, what tools and methods do you use to improve your mental health? Which ones have you found that works? And maybe which yeah. ones that you've tried but haven't? I read a lot. I immerse myself in fiction quite a lot. That's a really, really helpful thing for my mental health. Obviously, the biggest thing is the band. I think that really gives me a sense that I'm achieving and doing something with my life. Purpose, direction. My, exactly. Yeah. I'm there with my friends. There's joy. There's this therapeutic element to the writing of the lyrics and the themes of the songs, which is really, really great. And I have to remember that lots of people don't have that outlet. And I can say it so publicly, albeit quite nuanced and maybe hidden behind the words in a way, but that's really helpful. In terms of things that to help me, like that I have, I've tried that haven't worked, I want it to work. I want to be able to exercise and find the therapeuticness of, of exercise. I think that's something in the next year that I'm really going to endeavour to. Um, what do you lean more towards? Running, lifting weights? Definitely not running. My legs are huge. Like, just <laughs> lifting them up. That's, is like that's a, why lifting weights yeah, might help, yeah, mate. Yeah. Just make um, your legs bigger. <laughs> I, I, I think cycling, swimming, stuff like that. That's the that's where the leg from the old calves comes from. <laughs> uh, the power from the calves, sorry. But yeah, so I think that's something I want to lean into. And, you know, I think something that definitely doesn't work and hasn't worked previously is like trying to drown yourself in booze, basically, when you're feeling mm. vulnerable. That never helps. Yeah. And it hasn't helped. And historically, it's only made it Hangovers worse. just fuck me up. Now, yeah, man. yeah. It's mad. Yeah. A big session is unwrecked for at least a, 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 at least a day. And sometimes the day after, I'm still a bit... Because then your sleep's... Are my sleep shit now on a hangover? Mm. Like I'm sweating and I, like I can't get... And I wake up at like four... And I'll try to go to sleep again. Oh, it's like, yeah, getting all sucks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely, I've always prided myself on not on not getting bad hangovers, but um, the gloating has very surely caught up yeah. recently. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> suffering big time. Like, yeah. <laughs> you spoke there about books. What's the best book, or as I call it, mental health Bible you've read for your mental health? Oh, see, I am like an escapist. so Love that. Like, I read so much sci-fi stuff. There's a series of books called The Mad Adam Trilogy by Margaret Atwood. And those three books were really the core of them. The lesson is like being closer to the nature, understanding yourself, finding family. And it's all this really cool sci-fi backdrop future mm. stuff. But it's a really, really lovely story. The relationships that are formed as part of that story was when I read that, I kind of, it changed me. 
I, mm-hmm. it, it really altered the way that I view my personal relationships and I view that as a very pivotal series of books in my mind so to anyone who wants to read love sci-fi stuff those are really really amazing mm. books this is a new question that I didn't ask Jack so I'll ask it to both of you I'll ask you first Connor if there was a mantra in life that summed up your mental health what would it be and why cry <laughs> <laughs> honestly if you need to cry or be vulnerable do it let it out I guess would be what I would say but specifically like crying I struggle to keep that bottled up and I actually can feel it feel the effects of like releasing that energy and releasing that emotion to be so therapeutic especially in front of no you can do it on your own of course but Mm -hmm. especially in front of somebody who's got to be there to be able to pick you up afterwards I think is really really valuable um so that would be my, my mm. mantra, my message to everyone, yeah. Jack, same um, question to you. Yeah, I'm trying to find... I read this line in... Uh, I'm trying to think what book it was. I think it was that... Ah, there we go. It was in that book that I still haven't read, but... <laughs> I can't tell. <laughs> is that one, yeah? Uh, the Power of Now, I think it is. I think you mentioned this on the last yeah. podcast. I think I did. <laughs> But I think I think it was from this. I like to read loads of those. Yeah, I guess those kind of books that uh, just change your perspective on things. But it's a Freud quote. One day in retrospect, the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. And it's always kind of hit me quite hard in the sense that, like, even when I was talking about that um, therapy earlier, and I was like, even though talking about something so dark and at the time so frightening, it made me like fucking, you know, yeah. things have changed. Yeah. I'm better. I'm feeling better. <laughs> like then, even though, yeah that quote just kind of always even like now like even you know if the last two weeks have been a bit like harsh that quote kind of makes me just think like appreciate it mm. i appreciate the moments even when i'm struggling yeah mm. that reminds me actually i've got a tattoo and the quote that inspires the tattoo is all the shadows will be behind you when the sun shines upon your face mm. and that's like sounds like some lord of the rings or yeah, yeah something yeah. it sounds <laughs> probably in some book that i've read it's just like yeah lean into the things that give you joy and allow them to drive you forwards i guess mm. i think is what i take from that so very similar to what you just said just yeah. made me think of that mm. yeah yeah and as a final question con i ask this to all my guests what more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds all walks of life feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if, most importantly, they want to do it? Absolutely. If I, I mean, immediately when you ask me that question, I think about the young men that I teach and I think that there needs to be positive male role models. There's not enough male teachers, mate. Exactly, so yeah. kudos to you. But also, like, from those communities, you know, yeah. like, so wherever that may be, we need to allow those role models to be people who show vulnerability rather than this masquerade, like you say, the this grifting personality mm. of, I'm the best at this, I know what to do, I'm a, you know, and, th- and that's been a tale as old as time, you know, that, that kind of personality, but I think really thrusting to the forefront, people who can speak candidly about their issues to young people is really important. And then if you start that conversation there authentically, I think we start to see the, the issue raised. I, I, I do wonder sometimes for people of our generation, certainly the generation above us, some of that damage has been done to them. They, mm. they, they carry some of that male guilt, doubt, whatever it is with them that will take a lot more work to be cured. And so keeping that conversation going and making sure that it's, it, it's, it continues, I think it's immensely important. Yeah. And on that note, 
Con, Jack, thank you so much for coming back on. In your case, Jack. Thank you for coming on, Connor, in your case. Right, to behind the mic in the podcast and checking in with me. Nice hey. one. Thank you very been much, It's a mate. pleasure, honestly. Thank you. Until next time. Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of Behind the Mic. I want to say a big thank you to Jack and to Connor from Cavalcade for sharing their journeys and providing this part two of their Behind the Mic episode. I'll put Cavalcade's social media and streaming links in the show notes, as well as the link to where you can listen to the first episode I did with Jack way back when. As always, thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give it a share on social media channels. You can go to our Patreon and support us at www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk. If you don't want to do that, you can go and make a one-off donation to our GoFundMe. That is on our link tree and across all of our social channels. You can buy a Vent t-shirt. That is also on our link tree too. And you can find the link for that very easily. Or you can give us a review and five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, guys, it is always okay to vent. Bye.